become a part of our fellowship. So we want to reach out to you definitely and, uh, and get you plugged in. So if you haven't done that yet, fill that card out. Say that you want to be a member. Pass it to me or to Alicia, and we'll get you on the roll books. I don't know if you know, but our church is growing. we got a lot of new families coming here, and it's very, very exciting uh, to see. Uh, also, I want to make you aware of, of a couple of things. So next Sunday, next Sunday, I am going to be out of town. Uh, Mary and I were celebrating our 11th year anniversary, right? So we uh, have had 11 years of, of wonderful marriage. No bumps or bruises ever at all. Everything is lovely, right? So uh, we'll be out of town. So I asked my dad uh, to come and fill in for us. It hasn't been confirmed yet, uh, waiting on him and waiting on some of the shepherds to kind of give us their thoughts. But you may see another Darden in the pulpit, that, uh, and we look a lot alike. So my dad and mom may be here next week to fill in. And then also on the 30th, it's exciting, we've got Rick Gibson um, from Pepperdine coming to preach for us, and the, uh, the singing group, uh, one by one, will be here to lead us in worship. So on the 30th, I'm going to ask you a very special favor. If you'd invite a family member or a friend to come to that service, uh, I think it'll be wonderful, and really encourage them to attend the Bible lectures up at Pepperdine if they haven't done so uh, before. Um, so this morning, I, I want to tell you this. Two kids uh, went into their parents' bathroom and noticed a scale in the corner, like many of our bathrooms, right? And uh, whatever you do, the younger brother said uh, to the older brother, don't, don't step on it. And the older brother said, well, well, why? And the younger brother said, because every time mom and dad step on the scale, an awful scream comes out of their mouth. So make sure you don't, you don't step on that scale. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but we are now in what they call, what, what liturgical churches call the, the Lent season or the Lenten season. And it's a time of fasting, right, where you're supposed to reflect on uh, some of the things that you want to give up in your life and, 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 and kind of figure out this new direction that you want to be on. And sometimes we fall short in that area. You know, I made a, a, a commitment to stay away from candy, but last night, uh, you know, the M&M monster jumped up on me, especially the pretzel M&Ms. Have you guys tried those? Those are amazing, by the way. But anyway, jumped up on me, and I fell short, and I felt so bad about it. I said, you know what? I want to give this up, and I want to be committed uh, but now I feel damaged. I, I feel like I've made a mistake and I messed up. Um, so have you ever felt unhappy uh, with your life, like you, you made a mistake? Uh, have you ever felt like you were broken? Ha have you ever felt like your family was broken? Have you ever thought that the relationships that have been gone, uh, that have, have, have been messed up or are, are damaged far beyond repair? Have you ever made a mistake that you felt was impossible to overcome? Have you ever had someone say something to you that was just so hurtful and really crushed your spirit so bad that you felt like you, you couldn't shake it? I think all of us have probably been there before, and we all have probably felt like damaged goods at, at one point in our life. So this morning, that's the title of our message. Mike, go to this first slide. I want to talk about this idea or this process of, of how to get over being damaged or feeling like damaged goods. You know, if you go to any grocery store um, uh, in, 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 in any of the major chains, they always have a section where there are damaged goods, right? Uh, they're usually in can formed or something like that. And really on the outside, they're damaged. They're, they're cracked, they're bent, they have a label on them that is maybe marked up or scarred a little bit. And what they do is they take these products and put them in a far corner section of the grocery store, like in the back, right? Just away from all the good stuff, because that's where the damaged goods belong, way over here, away from everybody and everything else. 
And usually what they do with these damaged goods is they sell them at a discounted price. So whenever I go to the store, I love going to the damaged goods section, right? And I'll tell you what, that can of peas might be dented on the outside, but when you open it up and eat it, they taste just like the regular full-price good can of beans, right? That, that's just the way it works. The outside is broken and damaged, but the inside is still wonderful. It's still good. The peaches still taste the same way, and I got it for a cheaper price. But that's what we do when it comes to damaged goods. We like to put labels on them and stick them over in the corner like they're not usable and they don't serve a purpose anymore. Maybe you felt like damaged goods at one point in your life. Maybe someone has given you a label because of a mistake you have made in your life. Maybe you've made a terrible mistake and you feel like it's beyond repair. Maybe you've been a part of a culture or maybe even a church that has had some trouble and now it's labeled as broken and damaged goods. But what I love about the God that we serve so much is he loves working with damaged goods. Amen? And the power of God is displayed through human weakness. So I love the idea that as a damaged person, God can still use me. God says we're not damaged on the inside because we know Jesus. There's a passage of scripture that I want to look at this morning found in Genesis chapter 1, or 21, excuse me. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 21, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 20. Genesis 21, 17 through 20. The Bible says here, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. Now, if you recognize this passage of Scripture, you know this, the context is of, of Abraham, uh, Sarah, and, and Hagar, right? Story was that Abraham was without child. Sarah was upset about it, and they decided to do something about it. So Sarah told Hagar, you know what? Go to Abraham, and I want you to have a child. Uh, I want you to have a child, right? And this situation was, was kind of troubling because uh, uh, Ishmael basically, if, this may be the wrong way to think about it, but I think of it in these terms, Ishmael was, was really the love child of Abraham and Hagar, kind of like an illegitimate, uh, illegitimate child, if you will, and grew up in a difficult context. Sarah wanted a child so bad that she started this, this situation, and Ishmael had a very difficult life to live from the time he was born. If you just think about the context, what did Ishmael do to deserve the, the, the harsh punishment that he received as a result of this situation? If you think about it, Ishmael was, was innocent, a young child, didn't do anything wrong, but was born into a world of dysfunction and brokenness. And he was kind of labeled as, as broken goods, him and his mother, right? And he had nothing to do with it. That was just the situation and the context that he found himself in. So Sarah labeled Hagar and Ishmael as damaged goods that God couldn't do anything with. 
So if we look at the context of this passage, Ishmael was in a tough situation and probably felt very down on himself. And the Bible says he got heard the boy crying. I wonder how Ishmael felt. Obviously, my father's relationship with me is not the greatest. Maybe, maybe I'm not the chosen one. Maybe I'm not that special in his sight. My mom is mistreated. She's treated as a social outcast for doing nothing but listening to her, 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 her boss, if you will. And now they're treated as outcasts and thrown outside of the camp and outside of the fellowship at that time. But God used Ishmael's life. Uh, and Jeremiah says something very profound. Jeremiah says, uh, the scripture there says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. What I love about this context so much and this scripture so much is that oftentimes we blame our situations, we blame our parents, we blame past uh, fail, failures and, and, and disappointments, and we say we are stuck now and we can't move forward and we are damaged and we are damaged goods. I've heard a lot of people come up to me and say, my life is all messed up because of my, my parents. Because I've come from my family and from my culture and from my parents, now my life is messed up. But what I like to think about is, no, we didn't come from our parents. We came through our parents. We come from God, right? All of us come from God, but we come through certain contexts and situations. And sometimes People's backgrounds and upbringings are more difficult than others. But we come from God, and the Scripture tells me that God has a divine plan and purpose for all of us. Because while we were in the womb, He knew us, and He has a direction for us. We're all damaged goods, but God can fix everything. I was talking to a, uh, a guy uh, who came in for some counseling at, at my church uh, when I was up in Sacramento. He was having a hard time. He was a real troubled guy. And he said, so he came in and he said, Jason, I, I need to talk to you. So I opened up the door, had him sit down, and he began to tell me about all the terrible things that have happened in his life. Uh, I can't keep a job. I'm strung out on alcohol and drugs. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. And I'm just having a hard time in life. And I say, well, why do you think this is? He says, well, it's because of my parents. My parents didn't raise me in the right way. They neglected me. Daddy wasn't there, right? I mean, just all kind of stuff wasn't situated in his life. And as a result of his upbringing, he now has this label that he cannot shake. And he said, I'm so upset with my parents. And I said, that's terrible. I said, can I ask you how old you are? He said, yeah, I'm 65. I said, what? 65 years old. You're still upset with your parents about what happened that long ago, right? Because what happens is we keep labels with us and we like to be victims, right? And we like to have a victim mentality, but God doesn't call us to be victims. He calls us to be victors, right? And all of us can keep that victim mentality. And I even hear it in the church sometimes, right? Our church is broken now because this situation or that situation, we feel like victims. No, we're victors, Let's change our perspective in the way we view things because God works in the midst of brokenness, right? So last, uh, last night, uh, I was invited to go speak at this Risen conference, right? So I went up to the Glendale Church of Christ, and the preacher there picked the material that he wanted me to preach on. And he said, Jason, I want you to preach on uh, uh, how to work with struggling churches. And at first, I was, a little, I was a little bothered by that. I mean, what do you mean? You want me to preach on how to work with struggling churches. But then I thought about it, and I said, you know what? That's actually a good 
That's a good topic to discuss. That's a good topic for me to preach about because I know God is using me and using broken churches to carry out his work and his mission anyway. I don't care. You can be a 5,000-member church, 3,000. I don't care. God functions and can work in the midst of brokenness, and really his light shines very brightly in the midst of struggle. So that was the whole context of my sermon last night. Thank God for people who struggle. Thank God for churches that struggle because the end result is going to be far better than the beginning, right? Because we think and we know that God can work in the midst of difficulty. So I look at our church now. It looks much different than when I first began here eight months ago. It really, really does. And what I'm seeing is a victorious mindset and an attitude. I'm seeing God at work in the midst of difficulties and trials. I'm seeing fruit being produced left and right. Isn't this amazing, church? So next time he asks me to preach on struggling churches, I'm saying, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't have a struggling church. Our church is victorious, and we're moving and we're shaking, and that's what I love about our fellowship here. We're doing some powerful things here, church. Keep up the good work, right? But oftentimes, like I said, we believe that God is beyond being able to repair damaged situations or damaged goods. But I want to look at this text in, um, in Jeremiah chapter 18. So if you'll turn with me there to Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, and it's verses 3 through 6. Can't really see it on the screen. Jeremiah 18, verses 3 through 6. Again, God is in the business of repairing damaged goods. That's what he does. And the Bible says here that he is a potter, right? And let's look at this text together. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. It was broken goods. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Amen. Thank God for that. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. God knows exactly what he's doing with this church. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life in the midst of brokenness. He's shaping and repairing, and the end result is going to be much better than the beginning. That's the type of God that we serve, and it's amazing. I'm so glad that he's the potter and I am the clay, and every day we should be saying to God, Lord, mold me and make me after your will. May your will be done and not mine. And if we think in those terms, God can really use us for some amazing things in spreading the borders of his kingdom. I'm going to brag on uh, Mary's uh, mother real quick. <laughs> I got you, didn't I? <laughs> she thought I was going to talk about her. Um, I'm going to brag on Mary's mother. Uh, I love going to New Hampshire. And one of the reasons why I love going to New Hampshire is because my mother-in-law is such an amazing cook. I mean, she is the best. Sorry, mom. I know my mom might be watching. Uh, but Mary's mother, I know, right? Mary's mother is an, amazing, is an amazing cook because we can go up there and she can take ingredients that are left over or unusable and turn those ingredients into an amazing feast because she has that skill set and that ability. She can take leftover stuff. She can take the ingredients that, that, that nobody really uses and puts it into a dish and it turns out to be amazing. 
Amazing, right? Now, I think about God. God does the same thing. He's able to take leftovers, broken bits of pieces, difficult situations, form them because he is a master at doing that, and it will turn out into this amazing, amazing dish. That's the type of God that we serve. So God says, bring me your brokenness, bring me the difficulties, bring me your situations, and watch what I do with it, right? But we say, you know what, Lord, we're beyond repair. We can't do anything with this. God says, put it in my hands and I can do something with it. You see, a basketball in my hands doesn't really mean much. I'm not the best basketball player, right? I can try to shoot, but I miss. But you put that same basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan, and he can do something with it, can't he? Because he has that skill set and that ability. Our brokenness in God's hands, he can do some amazing and powerful things through them. Um, so I want to look at one more verse. One more verse this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse number 9, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Have any of you had the experience of not making a team before? Has anybody ever not made a team that you were going out and trying out for it? Thank you, Brian. Thanks for the transparency, brother. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. It's not just me. Me and Brian, right? <laughs> so um, um, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not the tallest guy, right? Um, so I had the bright idea of while I was in high school for trying out, uh, trying out for the, the high school basketball team, right? So um, there was like 150 guys that tried out for the basketball team. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm the best player since sliced bread, right? So I go out there, and I'm trying out for the team. It was like three days worth of tryouts, and I'm out there, and I'm getting dunked on and all kind of stuff. But in my mind, I'm still thinking, you know what? I got this. I'm going to make this team, right? I was working really hard. I was really fast, right? So I played good defense. They say I look like Derek Fisher, so I thought I was in. But... <laughs> For some reason, it didn't, it didn't work out for me, right? So uh, the coach called everybody who tried out um, into the gymnasium, and he was going to tell everybody who made the cut. And what they do is they call out the names of the people who make the team, right? So I'm sitting there, and they're like, John Smith. And everybody's clapping, woo, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went, goes down the line, and then he just stopped calling names all of a sudden. I'm thinking, did he make a mistake? He must have obviously forgot. Uh, so <laughs> he must have obviously forgot. Maybe he just slipped his mind or something. So I went up, and I said, coach, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but you forgot to call my name. And he said, no, Jason, I didn't forget to call your name. You did not make the team. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, Jason, let's, let's, let's be real, okay? You're 4'11", right? You're 4'11". Um, <laughs> you can't dribble that well, uh, so I doubt that this is the sport for you. And I remember going home that day, I was just crushed. I was so defeated because I had dreams of playing in the NBA, right? And it... That, that day, it was just all dashed, right? So I remember for like the next two or three weeks, just being so defeated, thinking in my mind, I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And I was so, so defeated. And I remember my grandpa coming up to me and saying, Jason, you need to go try your hand at football, right? So I tried out for the football team and I made it, right? And I became very, very good at football in so much that I won an award on the same basketball court in front of the entire school that I had been cut previously on, right? I won an award in front of the whole school for being the best athlete on the football team. And I was thinking to myself, God is good. What you gonna say now? But anyway. <laughs> you know, sometimes God uses brokenness for good things, right? 
He likes to teach us stuff and turn around situations, but he has to use brokenness to do that sometimes. So I thank God for brokenness, right? Well, what I love about this text in 1 Peter chapter 2 so much is it says this about all of us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and then look at this, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. God chose you to be on his team. He has a mission, plan, and purpose for you, and he wants you to help with that collective team effort of sharing the gospel message. And guess what? I even believe he called you to be here at Mission Viejo. He wants you here, and he wants you working to share that message with the rest of the world. So again, if you're not a member here, Fill out that card, become a member, because we got some powerful things happening here at this church. Conclusion, I want to look at this last slide, Mike, this last picture. Um, and you may not recognize this person, or maybe, maybe you do, but I want to tell you the story of Tatiana McFadden. Tatiana McFadden. Her story just recently aired, I think, on like ABC or CBS or something like that. But let me tell you the story of Tatiana. First of all, if you look at Tatiana, you notice that she doesn't have uh, any legs, and she's... Uh, permanently really confined to a wheelchair. Her story is, is just so amazing, right? Tatiana was actually born in Sochi, Russia. Uh, and she was born to an absentee father and born to a mother that didn't want her because Tatiana came out of the womb and she had this disease called spina bifida. Is that right, Mary? Spina bifida, right? And I think that disease is when the, uh, the bones in your back kind of protrude out a little bit. Am I wrong? Totally wrong. Okay, yeah. Anyway, anyway, that disease, right? Uh, and, and, and in so much, it was so bad that, that, that uh, her mom was so embarrassed to have her as her child that she decided to put this child into an orphanage. And what was bad about it is that Tatiana uh, was in that orphanage for about, I think she said like three years or four years, and had no assistance to get around. She had to learn to walk around the orphanage on her hands. And nobody wanted her because of her, uh, her brokenness, because she was, uh, uh, she she was uh, uh, goods that were damaged. She was damaged goods, so nobody wanted this poor little baby because she looked awkward, she walked on her hands, she didn't have any legs, nobody loved her. And Tatiana said that she felt so defeated. But one day an American missionary uh, came by the orphanage and saw Tatiana and had compassion on her and said, you know what, I think this needs to be my child. And she adopted Tatiana, right, and brought her back to the States. And Tatiana uh, began to grow in her confidence in so much that she said, you know what, I'm going to get into athletics now. Um, so she started in uh, uh, competitions in wheelchairs. She has won numerous marathons right now uh, uh, because of her strength in her arms to get around. And she's competed in many Paralympic organizations and games, and she is a gold medalist through and through. She has had so many victories. And what I love in her uh, interview, she said, I, I, don't have, I don't have any ailments or difficulties. She said, I'm not bitter or upset about anything. This was God's purpose for me, and I have accepted it. And what is damaged good, I'm using for God's glory. It was so amazing. She said, people thought I was damaged. I thought I was damaged, but I changed my mentality, and now I know I'm a winner. And what I love about this so much is that Tatiana teaches us a special message, that if we can change our thought process, 
on how we view ourselves if we think we're damaged goods or how we view our churches or how we view our families or how we view our, et cetera, et cetera. If we just change our mindset and say, you know what? God is doing something through this situation and I'm going to think positive. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a victor. I'm going to have that mentality. Watch what God does through that. And that's why the Bible says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is of good report, think on those things, right? Stop thinking about how terrible and how broken and how difficult situations are. Instead, change it and say, you know what, Lord? You're using this. People may think that I am a a damaged good. Some people may think I'm an outcast because of the mistakes I've made. Somebody has mistreated me. But you know what? God is using this for his glory, and I'm going to let him use me, and I'm going to be positive and confident about that. And when you have that mindset, you'll be victorious in everything that you do, but that takes faith. It takes courage. It takes a right, positive mindset. And church, I believe we have that here, and praise God for our fellowship now. Mission Viejo Church of Christ is on the move. You better get on the train. <laughs> you better get on the bus, because God is doing some amazing things here at this church. We've got a song of invitation selected. If there is someone here who has a label on them, that they are damaged goods, that has a label in their family unit, that their family is is no good, who believes that they're broken or they've encountered some hardships and difficulties in life and they're, they're having a victim mentality, this message is for you. God calls us to be victorious. And he wants you to accept that. And the way we gain that concept or that idea or that power of being victorious is through Jesus Christ. That's why you need to accept him as Lord and Savior. So we've got a song of invitation here. Uh, this morning. And if there is anyone that is in this auditorium that is ready to change their mentality, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and to take that label off and say, I am no longer damaged good, this invitation is for you. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to put Jesus Christ on in baptism. Be added to the church. And the church here will pray with you and pray for you to build you up and to help you be successful in everything that you do in your life. Whatever your needs and concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation?